0: from work podcast. My name My is name Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the waking up from work podcast. You're listening to episode 132 of the show today. This is your host, Dave Swillum. And this is where we get to work, making work a passion, living life creative full-time. This is where we interview artists, musicians, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people living alternative lives, doing what they want to do instead of what they have to do. Yeah. So this is a show that we like to interview a lot of people and we like to get creative on stuff. And This is our like third DC person being interviewed on the podcast in like a couple months or something like that. So we gotta we gotta pay attention to you guys down there. We gotta get you a name for your football team again, but we gotta pay attention to the DC talent showing up here on the podcast. You know, definitely. (laughs) For those out there that don't know this gentleman here, I've got Hans Mansky. You got it. Well done. All right, I always do like a moment of truth where I like I do. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I've got Hans Mansky here. He is a New author, about one year in, I think. I came out last winter, right? That's right. You got it. Awesome. For a book called For All, Democratizing Big Ideas. We've got some big ideas to talk about on the podcast because of that. So he is an author of that book that we're totally going to get into. He is a leadership coach at The Clearing Company down in D.C., which is like a boutique management coaching. Coaching and consulting. Yeah, you got it. Yep. All right, I've got it. I've got it. Yeah, Hans connected with me a couple months ago. And I think I was probably slow in communication with him, but we got him on here now, ending September, and connected through some other people on the show. And, you know, I'm happy to have you here tonight, man. And happy to hear that you went to school in Vermont and that you're going to be in Boston tomorrow. So, Texas born, but New England heart in there somewhere. So, welcome, That's Hans, it. to the show, man. Happy to have you on. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure. So Hans, do you want to tell people like if we don't know who Hans Manske is, who is Hans and kind of where did this come from here? I know that we're going to hit this book because obviously I like capturing all the things in a person's life that makes them come up with their creative because that's a real part of the story for me is like, why is this person thinking that? And even in some of your notes, you're saying, I always want to know why that's important to you, right? But this book also is kind of like these big ideas or these ideas that you, I believe from the outside in a quick, you know, little research are things that are held true or important to you as ideology, right? So I'd love to hear like, who is Hans for people that don't know you and kind of where did we get into some of this stuff as an early author in leadership? Thank you, Dave. Yeah. So I will... If we're gonna get in the wayback machine, I'll go way way back. Right, you can get now. in whatever machine yeah. you want.
1: <laughs> so one of the quick stories that I tell in my book, by way of context and kind of introduction and explanation on why why a book, why you know not some other creative pursuit, why I invest my energy in this and not yeah. something else, goes back to I think it's around 1991 or so, and I think I'm showing my age a little bit there. But I was a a young boy. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up in a small limestone house. Both of my parents were high school teachers. And in one of the bedrooms, I have this like vivid memory burned into my brain of, in one of the bedrooms, there was this alcove. And in that alcove, there were two floor to ceiling length parallel mirrors, right? Facing each other. If you can imagine that. So it's like a space you can walk into and then there's two mirrors facing each other. And I think it's an old house, right? It was built in about 1920 or so. Okay. I think the idea is that like, you know, both people living in that house could hypothetically get ready in the morning or at some other time at the same time, right? Like they both have a mirror to look in, et cetera. So that didn't happen a lot in my house. But what did happen was I would wander up to that bedroom and just like gaze into one of these mirrors. The reason being I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but when two mirrors face each other like this, there's a, a a light reflection kind of thing going on that happens. And the effect is the visual effect is it looks like a tunnel of mirrors stretching out into infinity in both directions. And as a small boy, I was like, what is, what the hell is going on here? I don't have any words to describe the science behind this or even to really fully describe it right yet at that point in my life but what stands out to me about that memory and the reason that it is such a vivid visceral memory for me is i asked that question why right i wanted to know why does this happen yeah. what both the science behind it right like the kind of like harder information that would maybe explain some of that and then also why is this look why does this look like infinity? Why does it yeah. look never ending? Right. I guess more like meta-type questions. Sorts no, of totally, things. But totally. yeah, yeah. So so at any rate, as a young, that's one of those memories that I have burned into my brain since childhood. And a lot of my life in reflection, as I started to embark on this book writing exercise in reflecting on that, I realized how much of my life I think has been defined, both in my decisions. And the things that I decide to invest energy in has been defined by these why questions, right? Really wanting to know what underpins the way that people act, the events that happen in the world, why things are the way they are, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So yeah. So that's a big part of kind of my story that leads to this book writing effort. And you did a a beautiful job introducing the clearing. So thank you for that. First of all, I am extremely fortunate to to get to work at The Clearing, which, as you said, is a small boutique management consulting firm here in DC. We're about 100 or so consultants strong. We focus on change management, right? The one thing that is a constant and omnipresent for anyone everywhere, regardless of your culture, what your work is, what your life is, change is the constant, right? So yep. we, we help people Manage and navigate that change and transformation in whatever way it shows up in their business, in their personal lives. That's where we do a lot of our coaching work, et cetera. So, this really cool opportunity came up, I think it was January 2020, to participate in this year long book writing seminar uh, at Georgetown University here in Washington, D.C. And yeah, so I, I thought about it, right? I said, I know that writing a book will be no small thing, right? Yeah. No, no small investment of effort, et cetera. And long story short, I decided to just take a leap of faith, right? Look, I'll give it a shot. If it works out wonderful, I will have achieved a big life goal. If for whatever reason it doesn't work out, at least I will have tried, right? I'll have given it the old college try and I won't look back and say, wow, I wish that I had taken that opportunity, It's cetera.
0: How'd you find that Hans? Where did that come up, that seminar? So at the Clearing, we have
1: a lot of connections with Georgetown University. Georgetown has a great leadership coaching certificate program that we send a lot of our coaches through. And so through that and just some other kind of partnerships that we have with Georgetown, I believe is how we found out about that. There's an organization called the Creator Institute that Golara actually, who's I think on the live stream on Instagram, is a recent alumni of too. So she published her book through that same process with Georgetown and the Creator
0: Institute. Awesome! That's a yeah. awesome program to have, man. Because it, like it, what you're saying that's no small feat, and a lot of people, it's like they have the idea and the concept that's well worth writing about, but like the process or the accountability is what I find is a lot, right? Because it's so time-consuming. A program like that, I could see is extremely beneficial. Absolutely. Just get a little bit of steering the ship to course that out of you.
1: you Yeah. And so from, you know, Dave, from the creative perspective, the writing has never been a challenge for me, although this really tested my limits, but this program, you mentioned accountability, right? For me, that was the crux of this whole situation was just being accountable to someone else for uh, word count milestones and uh, you know yeah. other 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 big sorts of uh, things, deadlines and what have you. Just I think if I had been left to my own devices and said, "Cool, let's write a book, let's do this thing," probably would have taken me ten years. Yeah. So it's it's a great program. That's a little bit about the process. And I get asked actually, my one of my mentors, a wonderful woman named Sharon Benjamin, asked me this question really recently. So I actually have a fairly ready answer to describe how do I think about myself? How would I describe mm. myself? She, Sharon challenged me to answer that question in with like single words, right? Not ramble on and on and on and on. How would you boil that down to kind of its essence, right? And so the way that I think about myself, I have, I have three words. The first one is advocate. And the reason that I say that is few things make me happier than being a cheerleader for other people in whatever energizes them, right? Whether that's a creative pursuit or the work they're doing, or if they're finding their personal purpose in something outside of the work sphere, could right. be a personal endeavor, what have you. So advocacy and advocate is a big one. Yep. Similarly, connector, right? So I, I would say that I'm a I'm a connector of people, of ideas, really importantly. And that was a, a big part of the reason behind the book. So I would say connector. And then finally, coach is the last one that I would use. And I think, frankly, it's kind of the, the melding of advocate and connector, right? So it's a little bit different, and I've been, like I said, I've been really lucky to to be able to do to do this thing called leadership coaching for a profession as a part of my job at the Clearing. Never would have imagined that in a million years for myself, but I love it. Totally energizes me, and am it makes me happy to wake up in the morning. So oh, that's dear. that's that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah, I love it, man. I love to hear that. There's a bunch of things inside there that I like, like you're talking about, like obviously, first of all, just that last piece there that you. You love to wake up to it. Like, that's the point of this show. And, like, I think I'm often talking in the creative, like, freelance field or services. And I think that sometimes people get it mistaken where, like, I'm from that world and I care about that world and I'm here to support creatives with my superpower for that. But, like, at the same time, it's like I named it the Waking Up from Work show, not to tell people, don't work. You know what I mean? Just work something that, like, is a passion, like, do whatever it is with eight hours or more a day to be passionate about something. It doesn't matter who that's for, if it's for you or someone else or what that's doing or whatever it is, just like do something that fills you up. And if you're not, then why bother? You know, so I love to hear that you're like jetted on it every day. That's awesome, man. And then like the advocacy portion of it, you know, I think that that's going to come right out in the concept of your book in terms of democratizing ideas, because that's really the, honestly, the concept of, that is advocating for other people, advocating for these large ideas that everyone should be able to be connected to and and go after. But I like that you're just talking about that just as a trait for yourself. And it's funny that a lot of people I find who are are on the show or on shows in general, it's like a lot of people, when they're trying to speak out about something, they're trying to be on a, a podcast or write a book, or they're trying to be a creative and create something, it's usually because they're advocating for something or they're trying to connect other people who are in the same position together to be a connector. And so it's it's funny how those concepts that you say, I find they fall right in line just with creative in general and with people who happen to be using some type of communication, whether it's podcasts or written word or photos or whatever it is to be able to do that. So that's yeah. cool to hear that in your your talk real quick because I'm gonna I know that like once I start hitting some of your like big ideas here. I'm gonna like dive right down and I'm gonna I'm gonna get dragged in, you know, I'm gonna get sucked into the, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but like I know that you saw this program and you're like, hey, I'm gonna give it a shot. Let's check this out. That program came up through connections and and talk on the day to day and you're like, hey, I'm gonna give it a shot. I guess how did you come to this concept? And then we can just jump right into it. Like, what made it so that the first book out of you is like this concept right here. Why, why did this come to be? What does that that mean. mean?
1: That's a great, a great, a really great question, Dave, and like one that I've put some thought into, right? So I mentioned that I grew up in South Texas, that my parents were both high school teachers. On my mom's side of the family, my grandfather was in the Air Force for a number of years, enlisted at a very, very young age. And to make a long story short, he was actually, and this is actually timely, right? Because this is Hispanic Heritage Month. My mom's side of the family is Mexican. And as my Grandfather enlisted into the Air Force and served for a number of years there. He really, really excelled, right? At a very young age, coming from a very rural sort of family and background in South Texas around the King Ranch in that area of Texas near Corpus Christi. And, you know, like I said, long story short, he excelled and um, was actually invited to attend the Air Force Academy in Colorado he was invited twice and actually got bounced out of the application and enrollment process for what I think we would now call really racist reasons. Right. First time it was because, as I recall, right, and I'm going from memory here was he had a pronounced Mexican or Hispanic accent as he spoke and some other, frankly, BS and pretty racist reason the second time around too. Right. So again, long story short, he had that experience as a young man, right and so if, as you can imagine, it really shaped him and my family. I would say in a really positive way, and the spin that I take on it is I feel that I come from a family of activists, right and people that advocate to that point that I mentioned about myself on behalf of other people, especially others that are less fortunate than I am or that we are as a family and as a, yeah. kind of a, a group right so so for me, that's a big part of the reason why this whole Concept of, of democratizing, right? How can we level the playing field for all people, regardless of you know any number of kind of dynamics or realities about your life? And yeah, for me, the kind of there was, I'm a bit of a collector in life, right? It, that that applies to tangible things and then also to information. And one of the ways that that shows up, and this is a lot of this is in the book, is I love to collect quotes, right? I love like really insightful, inspiring, sometimes motivational, sometimes the things that make quotes make you really reflect on yourself or certain things, just quotes, yep. right? So as I was pondering what the hypothesis or what, like, what's the crux, what's the so what of this book and why, again, why a book and not a, a blog article or, you know, some other written form, basically a yeah, yeah. series of short stories or something like that. What crystallized that for me was a quote, and it's from a, a social entrepreneur who sadly passed away fairly recently from, I think it was epithelial sarcoma. She was like 37. Was oh, pretty, pretty tragic sort of thing. But, that is terrible, dude. Yeah. but oh her, God. Her, So her name was um, Leila Jana, And she founded, as I mentioned, she was a, a social entrepreneur and activist, right? A lot of the things that I've already mentioned. She founded some pretty amazing companies that what what they share what they have in common is that they rely on and employ members of the community in traditionally poverty stricken underserved communities all around the world right so I, instead of like saying where is the best kind of the most educated or the best white collar talent and focusing your your business there She's saying, where do people need the most help? Where could people most use a living wage, et cetera? And wow. she built built her businesses there and was wildly successful, by the way. So oh, Layla Jana. Yeah. Yeah. So the quote that just like was like a bomb going off in my brain from her is talent is equally distributed, opportunity is not. Right. So mm. the way that the way that I interpret that, talent is, is equally distributed is doesn't matter. What country you are from or that you live in, what your socioeconomic status is, what your outlook or viewpoints are on any particular topic or what have you, right? If you take a cross-section of any of those parts of the population, the level of talent and intelligence and ingenuity and creativity will probably be, is going to be pretty evenly distributed, right? Across all of those, those different dynamics and distinctions. Yeah. What is not equal is opportunity and act and the ability or the access to actually flex and use and apply those talents. Right. Right, So, so I was like, damn, okay. All right. I, yes, I, I feel that I've experienced it. I, many of my colleagues and my friends and my family members have also experienced that. Right. So, then the question in my head is, what can, what could I do? What could I do about that? That might in some small way, move the needle on that, right? Maybe we can level this playing field out a little bit. And so, yeah. yeah. So that, that for me, that was like a real epiphany basically type of moment. And when this opportunity came up to write the book, I said, you know, what has been a big Kind of linchpin for me in my personal development as a human being and in my professional development and my in my work and you know and I define that pretty loosely and openly it's the clearing it's other things too, right is are, are these things I call big ideas, right so that's kind of how we get to this concept of big ideas These are just some of them are frameworks, some of them are mindsets some of them are, just concepts that you can take and use and apply, right? Things that you can have in your tool belt every day when you wake up, that sort of thing yeah. that that have just moved the needle for me as a, as a person or in a professional sphere. And I said, well, okay, I've been really lucky and fortunate to be exposed to a lot of these big ideas at a pretty young age. And I would love to open up access to these ideas to people that maybe they have been exposed to them. Maybe, maybe they have not. Right. But digging into that and then starting to create a community around some of those big ideas. So Long way of answering your question, but I think like that for me is the is the why. That's my personal why behind this book, why this topic and why I kind of decided to walk this path.
0: Awesome. Dude, yeah, I saw that quote. I don't know if it was in like your like your your write-up of some of these things or like on Amazon or something. I saw the quote that you mentioned from was it Layla? You said? That's right. Layla Jana. Yep. And that hit me because when I'm looking for like i i don't hire really i don't have a company it's just me but i do work to like streamline things and i work with like people on a contract basis and i work with teams of people for certain projects you know if i can't do some piece of art i hire someone or whatever but yeah. whenever i do hire people for things or you know when i'm looking to collaborate in a creative way or something it's like i'm not looking for i'm not looking for the thing that they did so much as i'm looking for like how does this person think, and what's their outlook mm-hmm. on things? Like, and what does that mean for like the creation of that or like working together? And I think that that's like that principle that you're saying of like talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And I think for me, I am, you know, I'm looking for, how do I get the best people to do the best things? but for me it's like i don't really care like and i think this is this was this is what's awesome about the timing of your book with this concept too societally like just i was being interviewed the other day and someone asked me my stance on college education in uh-huh. certain fields and i i really will go off on that a lot because i am college educated but there's yep. some people that hit me up and i'm like don't go to college and there's some people that do and i'm like go to college you know what i mean it's a crazy topic but i think societally we are also coming to that finally, more so of being like, "Dude, I don't care what you did for X, y, and Z. I want to know like, who are you as a person, like what are you capable of? When I'm going through your history, say you're being interviewed traditionally, or say like it's nonchalant, you're you're hanging with someone, but like an opportunity pops up because they realized who you were, right? in either instance. I think a lot of times now, or it's starting to finally happen where people are are not so much looking at the accolades or the plaque or the whatever, and they're saying, "Okay, you did this thing. that's a fact, right? What in there did you do that the, that's the piece of you that I want to harvest out that is the unbelievable thing, regardless of like say someone's not even like able to do a certain task that you need them to do yet, like they're not even there, but you just see in that person their quench for learning or their dedication or their devotion or their hard work or their honesty or their them being themselves or whatever it is that you see in that person. And you're like, I know that this person, when they go up to bat, they're going to fucking knock it out of the park. And it doesn't, it has nothing to do with like any of this other shit. And I think your book in this concept of that is really important in working with that movement of this time like i think 20 30 years of people talking about stuff like this are like dude i don't care where you went to school i don't care what you know this thing is all those things are beautiful things and i don't want to take that away from anyone for right. their pride or for whatever but it's just like at the end of the day we're a bunch of human beings and we need to see like what are the best things about this human being that allow them to do whatever it is that they're capable of you Absolutely. Know. Yeah. You
1: know, what it makes me think about Dave is it gets quickly to the heart of what we know to be true about our societies through the lenses of things like equity, right? And access yep. and that sort of thing. So to your point, hey, maybe your, your achievements in this system, right? Whatever system that is, maybe it's a job, maybe it's school, maybe it's what have you. Right, most of those systems are based on on a meritocracy, right? So it's like, okay, the people that work the hardest and are the most dedicated and the most talented will achieve the most, that's partially true. It's not fully true, right? Right. Right. I think what we are learning more and more every day. So what about the brilliant, all of the undiscovered Einsteins, right? Which is, I'm pretty sure is a a term that's coined, right? But about all of the people that were just as brilliant or are just as brilliant as an Albert Einstein or fill in the blank with any incredible entrepreneur. Right. But that just for what it, they don't have the ability the access to flex
0: the, those talents and their, and their or muscles and connecting, that like yeah. you're talking about connect connections, like being a connector. Sometimes it's just like you see something and you're like, look at how this person does this thing. You're like, you need to talk to this person and you should use that thing for this. And sometimes that, that connection never happens. Yeah. Right. No one ever connects that person with just this is literally what you're saying, but it's like they don't get connected to the opportunity that could just take what they're so amazing at and just all of a sudden it sends right through. They're like, yeah, this person's incredible. Right. But if there's yeah. no one there to connect them or to give them a chance at bat, then there's no there's nothing to even talk about later to other people for other opportunities because there's nothing that's in the light. True. Very well said. And you know it one in, in conversations
1: that I have had with with some of those people, right, who are heartbreakingly brilliant in either some very particular kind of niche way or just in general right and and that do not have access to to some of the things that I've been lucky enough to have access to and that many of us have yeah that can be a very demoralizing reality right to kind of like think to realize for yourself and to become self-aware of for lack of a better term and so back to the book like I can't even imagine yeah that I mean that's a that's a huge part of this book is if you find, and, and that's a part of the, who I believe is the audience for this book who could really benefit from it is if you think that's you, right? Like you're one of those, okay, maybe you don't call yourself a, you know, an undiscovered Einstein, but you know <laughs> that you have, but you know that you have this deeper immense talent, right? And you don't know how to apply it maybe, or who might really value that or consume it. One thing that is in your control, right? Like if you think about. I'm missing this connection, I'm missing this other thing. If only dot, dot, dot. Yeah. one thing that we are in complete control of is ourselves, right? And right. so that 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 is my other big kind of like underlying reason for this book is independent of any of those other externalities of, of whatever your environment is and what's happening, you can work on yourself. You can learn, you can research, you can do some self-awareness exploration, and all of those things will pay huge dividends for you in however you decide to apply it, whether that's a, a side hustle or a job, or just I want to figure out what the hell my life purpose is, right? Yeah, Any of those yeah. things, and probably all of them. So yeah. So anyway, that's kind of for me, the the why, right? The why behind this book. And yeah, you know, there's a couple of... I did pluck a couple of of the big ideas that I think might have some specific application to to creative pursuits, but I think, frankly, for anyone. So... We can like, I'm happy to dive into one of those if you want to just take a, take a dive there or where, where do you think we should go for this?
0: Yeah. Well, one, I do want to hit those because I basically like my two idea, my two things that I wanted to know when I saw the concept of the book, some of like the points to it and then just the name was what you said, what are these big ideas that need to be democratized? What are some Uh, of the big ideas that everyone should have access to, to be able to, to, go after whatever their passion is and whatever their strength is. The other one I wanted to figure out too was what some of your ideas and insight might be of how. How do we go about democratizing big ideas societally Um. or how do we do it on the one-on-one level? Like what you're seeing in the space because you're saying, you know, guerrilla warfare, I'm out here talking to these people. I'm hearing what they feel and I'm also seeing the issue on the macro. You know, I'd love to hear both of those. I don't know which one you'd want to hit first between those though.
1: Yeah, both wonderful questions. What I would say is, I think maybe the first of the two ideas that I plucked out and we can cover one or both or none. I think the first one will connect into your second question as well. So maybe maybe let's start there and then we can take it wherever we want to. How about that? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So... I have a I, I'll hold it up here for both screens. I've got a copy of my my <laughs> book and one of the ideas here. I'll just like I'll briefly walk through it. So, you know, there's all the usual, there's acknowledgments and introduction. I dig into some chapters about framing, and then I organize the big ideas into some kind of buckets, right? Just so that they're it's a bit more accessible and just organized that's not mentally overwhelming, right? And then to your, I think it kind of starts to get to your second question. Part of our bias in a positive way at the clearing is we have a real bias towards action, right? So it's one thing to learn about a new idea or a new concept yes. or a new paradigm, but the rubber really meets the road when you can take that idea and, uh, and apply it in some way. Yes. Right? So it's all yes. about the application.
0: Okay, cool. Cool idea, bro. What do I do with it, right? So I'm passionate about that idea. Yeah. Okay. Good. Like. Glad. Oh, dude. (laughs) I like. I talk about it like pretty much constantly. I am way more on action side versus learning, and this is coming from someone that like I read a lot. I'm digesting podcasts and audiobooks constantly. Like I'm, I'm learning all the time, taking courses, going to conventions, whatever. I value action over extra learning. Always. Because my, my full principle on it is like, if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't make a sound. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> like, you can learn for 100 years of life. If you took no action in that time, who's it affecting? Who's it helping? Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's like And sometimes taking action even before you're ready re-centers you on like, what, what am I actually supposed to be doing? Because yeah. I thought that I learned what I was supposed to do. And then I did real life applying that. And then I got readjusted. Oh, okay. Whoa. I actually don't need to know anything about this, but this, and now I need to go learn that thing. So Mm -hmm. just sorry to break you, man, but I'm action over learning any day. You'll, you will keep learning, but you have to do something. Something Uh, has to happen. Even if it's micro and you literally just say today, I'm going to do whatever. And you walk in the door of someplace and you're just in the environment, do something, some action over just circulating. You're my people, my friends. Yeah, go it's man, that, yeah. Let's go! <laughs> so the the first
1: part of the book, I, as I said, right, dives deep into that. Then in the back, and I'll, I kind of hold it up. I'm realizing I'm probably not showing the screens, right? But the back of the book is basically, I like to think about it as a field book, right? So it's like cool. You learned about these ideas. You got a little bit of context. You got some research. You got some background. You got some anecdotes and some. I did some wonderful interviews with some amazing people, and the outcomes of those interviews are in the book here as well. Awesome. And then in the back, in that field book section, right, is the, is the, once you've read through the book once, that field book section can be a total guide, right? Like you just flip it open to whichever one of these big ideas you feel you need to tune back into or that might be used for a purpose that feels really important at that moment, right? So the field book section is all about quick primer, right? Here's a recap on what this thing is. And then consider these things. You could do this, you could do this, you could do this. Here's some actions you might take X, Y, Z, right? So I get tactical on the back of the book because I wanted to avoid that exact idea, right? It's like, it's not just learning for learning's sake. It's learning paired with how do I actually move out on this? How do I move the needle for myself? How do I move the needle for other people? So that's a little bit about the action and the application. And then the first big idea that I wanted to dig into and just to serve by way of example of cool, you talked about big ideas. I mentioned their frameworks, their mindsets, and lots of other things. So one of the first one that I wanted to highlight is imposter syndrome, which is huge, a a huge thing, really prevalent. I think especially for younger people and especially in people that are in creative fields doing creative endeavors, Huge. right? Huge biggest so, problem that they yeah. possibly have. The biggest yeah. problem, number one. It's something that I know I have experienced deeply, right? Throughout my life. One of those things I read, right, I I mentioned that there's another really great quote. It's a Confucian proverb. And that that quote is the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their right name. Right. So that mm. this is one of those, this is one of those situations where I was like, I sensed imposter syndrome, what I can now call that, right? But I didn't have a name for it. First of all, I didn't know it was a thing. I thought it was just me, right? I was out on this island and experiencing this thing. come to realize, of course, it's not just you. Many people experience it and you're not alone. And it's a thing, by the way, right? So, you know, the basic premise, I know you're really familiar with it, but the basic premise of imposter syndrome is regardless of your level of achievement in any particular pursuit, you could be the world's best at fill in the blank, the world's best lead guitarist, the world's best comic book pencil artist, the world's best, you name it, right? Could be creative. doesn't have to be creative. Could be something else. I'm the world's best certified public accountant, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Regardless of that level of achievement for many, especially high achievers, there's that little voice in the back of your head, right? It's like, I I actually don't think I'm very good at this thing and I'm pretty sure that I'm a fraud. Not only am I not good at it, but I'm pretty sure I'm a fraud in this regard. And I'm pretty sure that one day or another, someone somewhere is going to learn the truth about me. I.e. Right. that I'm really not so good at this thing that I say that I'm good at or that I think that I'm good at. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. and you know, that's like a, a super high level overview of it. But what, Part of my research for this book, I just, I started to look around. Right. And there's a a quick quote from the book. There's a guy named Neil Gaiman, who um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is a, he's done graphic novels, nonfiction. He's an author. He's done theater films, you name it. Right. I think he kind of is equal parts writer and fine artist and has done a lot of incredible work. So at any rate, he was invited to do a commencement speech at the University of the Arts, which is in Philadelphia, a great school, right? And so he actually centered a lot of his commencement speech on this idea of imposter syndrome. And this is, I I quoted him from that right in this book. So his quote is, the first problem of any kind of even limited success is the unshakable conviction that you are getting away with something and that Mm. any moment now they'll discover you. They, right. In my case, I was convinced there would be a knock on the door and a man with a clipboard. I don't know why he had a clipboard, but in my head, he always had a clipboard (laughs) would be there to tell me it was all over. They'd caught up with me and now I would have to go and get a real job. Right. So that's a, that's a quote from Neil Gaiman. This hyper creative, you know, amazing guy that's achieved amazing things, right? Like he's describing his own imposter syndrome in those moments in a very public way at the commencement speech in front of thousands of people. So yeah, yeah, I think that there is this huge application and back to that Confucian proverb, right? About, you know, the beginning of wisdom is the correct naming of things. So first, if you're feeling any of those things or experiencing them, and regardless of what your pursuit is, name it, name it for what it is, understand it, right? And then maybe start investigating some things about why that? Why does my head go there? Why do I feel this way? Exactly. Why do I feel this way? So I think it has huge application in the creative fields, regardless of what your pursuit is. And I know, as I wrote this book, I even felt that, right? I'm like, you know, there's probably nothing new that's worth anyone's time to read in this book. Yeah. The reality is, I think, I think it is worth people's time, right? But that was a part of that internal monologue that was going on as I was writing this book too. So that's one of the ideas that I think that is important and is a big part of my book.
0: Yeah, so important. So definitely for creatives, because it's so subjective for what you're creating, where it's not the accounting thing, where like, this is a yes or no to 2021 tax code or something. You know what I mean? This is flat out. This is exactly a yes or no. When you're writing a book, when you're writing a song, when you're doing anything... It's like you're breaking rules nonstop, first of all. So like everything you're doing is breaking rules. So no one even knows if you're allowed to do it or not. You don't even know if you're allowed to do it or not until someone's like, yeah, this is awesome. Then you're like, oh, I guess I'm allowed to do it, right? But second of all, you're creating something that if it's good, is going to polarize people. And immediately there are people that will hate it and say that it's worthless and awful. And it's like inside there, you have your own voice. And if your own voice is not saying that there's value to it, it's very difficult to know... Mm -hmm if you'll take that action and release that release that content and that's the biggest portion of it where i see for creatives is that and actually really you know when you're talking about democratizing big ideas i also think that that's probably the leader just from my perspective i haven't done the research that you've done i would imagine that that's one of the biggest factors in stopping people from different positions from even trying because they've been told their whole life that like oh you're in this position you don't have any money you don't have. You don't know anyone. You don't whatever. You can't be good at this thing that they're like awesome at, and they just don't even try. Or they're Absolutely. doing it, and then they they are too scared to even put that out in a light to see what people think about it. And it's like the market decides about whether something is good or not putting that out there. And then even if the market doesn't like it, you can still find value of what does this mean to me or not? Yeah. What does this mean to me and my family? And that's it's huge, man. Like that that is n- my number one thing that I see when I'm talking to anyone, whether it's like, why someone isn't making content, why someone isn't leaving their job that they hate, why someone isn't leaving a relationship that they hate, why someone isn't moving somewhere, or they're like, all of these reasons that we come up with of like, I can't do this because of X is like a little bit of imposter syndrome because you're not allowing yourself to even think that that thing could happen because of some other thing. But it's like you telling yourself, like I'm afraid that I'm unable to do that thing because I'm not the person that can do the thing. And it's like before you then get a chance to try it. And it's difficult because I unfortunately believe that this will never go away. I really believe that imposter syndrome is indicative of highly successful, highly creative people. And I think that no matter how much education you put out there, because it's such a personal level based off of our own experiences and our own day to day and an environment around us. I think that we're gonna be talking imposter syndrome well after me and you are gone, Hans. It's just gonna, it's just gonna be a thing. And the only thing you can do about it is share this information. And then when you're talking to people about it, when you're trying to do it, like ultimately what I've realized is that people need to realize it themselves or else it doesn't matter how much coaching or rah-rah you give them be like, no dude, like you're awesome at this thing. You should yeah. go do that thing you can do that. And sometimes they will push them over the edge and like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do this one thing. And then they're like, Hey, I finally did this thing and it was awesome. And you're like, yes, like that's the best. But it's like, until people inside decide that then you can coach people or you can, you can cheer them on or tell them like, dude, you are so good at this thing. And like, you know, I did an episode on imposter syndrome Mm. and it was like, I talked about like the, the person uh, playing like guitar around the fire. I'm a musician and so sometimes I'll go to like a cookout or a barbecue or a fire or something like that. And I'm not great at guitar. I'm, I'm like, come from other backgrounds, Yeah. but like someone will play guitar around the fire. And like, they are, they're great. Like their voice is awesome. They're playing guitar. It might be covers. Like it's not something that they wrote that's original. Sure. Or like it's a cover, but they're like, they're killing it. And they'll be like, Oh, I'm not a music. Like I come by the fire. Oh, I'm not a musician. Cause you're yeah. a musician. I'm like, dude, you're a musician. Like you're playing the shit out of that guitar your voice sounds amazing right now. I can't play that cover like you. You're a musician. (laughs) Right. It's like immediately these like, just like you're saying, they're going to find out about me. Like all of a sudden I'm, I'm not this thing because now like this other thing happened. It's just like, it's crazy, man. It's really important. And I'm glad that you're talking about it. Yeah. Thank you. And, and well said, I opened
1: the book back up because, so I mentioned Neil, Neil Gaiman, who is a, I, I think about him as like a pure creative. Right. And I broke out as part of my research. Right. I plucked, Stories from other people that most people I think would realize or recognize rather. And so like some of those people uh, like Maya Angelou, I have a quote from Maya Angelou in here from a guy named Mike Cannon Brooks, who's the CEO of Atlassian, which is a gigantic Australian software company, like multi multi multi-billion dollar software company. Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook. I mentioned Neil Gaiman and there's others in here as well. Right. So like right. I said, it's usually the highest achievers. And as actually, I just had this moment of self-realization, right? Like leafing back through the pages of my book is if I had this book back one, one thing, there's probably many things I would change, but one of the things I would change with regard to imposter syndrome here is in addition to calling out some of those, you know, big names that have some household recognition sort of thing. I would also love to highlight how just what that looks like for regular people too, right? Like yes. people people yeah. like people like you and me and others that just experience it right at to the same depth, probably in the same way as some of these really famous individuals, right? I think it to your point, it is a one, one thing we say at the clearing a lot and that I use in my coaching is, and you said we'll probably be talking about imposter syndrome for hundreds of years. It'll outlive us, right? One thing that a phrase that we use a lot that I say is. It's not a problem to solve. It's a difficulty to manage,
0: right? So like that. Don't, like that.
1: it's not something you don't wave a magic wand. It's like, all right, goodbye. Imposter we're never going to kill
0: imposter syndrome. It's exactly. just part of human behavior and our trajectory through our lives of so what we're trying to accomplish or not. Bingo, bingo. Yep. So, yes. so that, you
1: know, that like for me, the so what with imposter syndrome, and this is, these are things that I use in my coaching a fair amount too. I, one thing that I, and I say it in the book here as well is, okay, cool. Well, like, what, what can you do about this? How can you actually take this self-awareness and apply it in a positive way for yourself or for other people? And yeah. the first piece for me is don't conflate approval from other people, right? Don't confuse someone else's approval with your own self-worth or with love, right? Like, and that's a weird word to kind of bring up, I think, mm-hmm. maybe in this context, but those things are not equal. They're not the same, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I coach a lot of my clients to to decouple those things, right? Because we back to the topic of this podcast, right? Um, in the work context, your boss's, you know, at a boy or at a girl or their approval or a promotion or a raise or whatever it is, is not the same thing as your self-worth. It's not the same thing as love. And so I think one of the most radical things we can do right as individuals is really invest in decoupling those things. And I think that goes right back to the heart of imposter syndrome. So that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing that I will say is, um, I call it returning to first principles, right? Kind of like an abstract thing. But what I mean by that is, we're all where we are, for a reason, and we've earned those things, right? So I have earned and worked my ass off to get to do the things that I do at the clearing and in my life. You've done the same thing with your work and with your podcast and this really cool opportunity that you give people. The same thing applies for for all of us, right? We got that job. We're going to that school. We're doing that thing, right? Whatever it is, this amazing thing. Because yeah. we we put in the time and the effort and the dedication. And so I think it's back to that self-talk, right? Like shifting the self-talk from that... I'm gonna get I'm gonna be found out. I'm a fraud. I don't deserve this. There's no way in hell that I'll actually get this thing that I tried, you know, that I'll achieve this thing that I try for. Just flipping it, right? Flipping it on its head and really trying to get into some of that more positive self-talk. It sounds kind of glib, but I think that like there's massive, massive goodness inside of that too.
0: Yeah. And one like, so we're zooming right through this episode. So I'm trying to like crunch down the things that I want to talk about. Because there's so many in here that I want to like catch, but I know that we are kind of like cruising through six or six, okay. really quick, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but i this is the first time that I think that I read this as like a listed thing, and I think it works like literally hand in hand with imposter syndrome. and that's this dunning Kruger effect, yes, that you noted in the book, too. And what I gather from it, essentially reading it quickly, it was awesome because it's it's something that I've been aware of. but It's not something that I I knew was like also a defined thing. Like, hey, this is the thing that happens is this thing. And it's basically that the reason why I feel that it goes hand in hand with this is, is this effect is saying that people don't think that they are only the people who are actually that good at something will typically not think that they're awesome at it because they are now so aware of how much more they have to go of perfecting that thing. Yet people who are far less talented or good at what's happening may feel 10x and also project that confidence 10x of their abilities in that field because they are so unaware of how actually not good they are in it. And I feel like with social in modern day, that probably gets blown out because you have social literally showing that and projecting that against you who might be the person that knows that much about something that you now feel like you don't know right next to someone else someone else's post of someone who just picked it up for the first day and they're like i am so good at this yeah. but they're like they actually have no idea how much they don't even know <laughs> that was Bingo. a cool effect in reading that i was like 100% true it's yeah. so true and that messes with people that's part of this problem that's part of this concept. You said it, you said it perfectly, Dave. I, I think
1: for me, the crux of, of Dunning-Kruger effect, which is yeah. Another one of the big ideas here. And actually you, you did a, a beautiful job. Like I paired the Dunning-Kruger effect with imposter syndrome Smart. because they're intrinsically linked, I think. Right. And, and in the end, totally. Yeah. Totally. And So you, you said it, right. The people who <laughs> it's this weird, weird cognitive bias, right. It's a social science term for it, but Um, these two, these two individuals, David Dunning and Justin Kruger, invested a lot of time and research in an academic setting into this. And now we get to, you know, breathe the benefits basically of it in, in real world application. And you hit the nail on the head. The, the more ignorant someone is on any topic, the more imbued with confidence they are, right. They're like, in reality, they know nothing. And as they project an image of themselves out into the world, whether that's social media or when they just open their mouths with other people that they're around or what have you, it's, I know everything. I'm let me tell you how I know everything. Right. And vice versa, you know, of course the crux, the the inverse of that is um, the most uh, educated, talented, gifted researchers, experts, what have you, are deeply aware of how much they do not know, right? So right, um, right. they they are so tuned into that that oftentimes it just has that opposite effect. They're like, hey, I've got four PhDs, but I know I know nothing. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna doubt myself. I'm gonna second guess myself. And then there's where imposter syndrome comes in again. So right. yeah, it I, I love it, right? Like I'll, I'll, I'll hold up a page from the book. There's a there's an image, right? Like I'm a really visual. Oh, cool. learner. And so, yeah, there's like a sine curve type thing that that goes with this and that's in the book. And yeah, you know, like not to get super political, but like what it makes me think of right off the bat is like some of the ways that Dr. Anthony Fauci showed up in the early days, right? Um, And we're talking about one of the most brilliant epidemiologists in the world. And then, you know, pair that up with some schmuck on the internet um, who did a Google search. And now is going to, you know, say a lot about that, right? So, to your point, I think, right, and um, that's just one example for that shows up for me, but I think that as time goes on, we'll probably be seeing more and more and more of this Dunning-Kruger effect at work and at play in in all different sorts of pursuits. So I'm really glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I yeah. always talk about it like, because I'm also, I'm very visual too. I had to like, storytell and like, see something of like, what what does this look like in a very digestible context, like literally the simplest thing possible. Yeah. And then how does that, and then, and then I can sit on that and kind of digest it. Like what's that one action saying? And like, and it makes more sense to me. Like, it drives my my wife crazy when we're renovating. Cause I had to walk <laughs> in the room and be like, put the paint swatch up, put this piece of wood over yeah. there. Like I need to see how these hit each other in real life. I can't talk right now. I'm getting so flustered. Like I, my mind has to yeah. like when I'm talking about this effect, it's like, you're going to hike a mountain right and you're like i want to hike the largest mountain in this mountain range and you think that it's this other one right so you climb the mountain and then when you get to the top of the mountain it's like all the other mountains when you're already at that height they also kind of look bigger hmm. you know what i mean like you're when you're already when you're actually at that height of it just by relatively looking you're like holy shit those mountains are gigantic when you're at the bottom of it it's like they it doesn't feel that way because you're right next to it. You're like, this mountain is the biggest. This is ridiculous. Right. And then you get to the top. And then when you're seeing now from that view, how massive the other mountains actually are, even if they're technically shorter, you're like, I've got so much more to go here. Maybe this isn't the, like, the biggest mountain or not, because you're just like, perspective has completely changed. And then your ability to work in that realm has changed because of that. So it's Absolutely. Like, Oh, I just learned this much to realize how much I didn't know. And my mind gets blown apart. And you're like, we're starting over again. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just got to <laughs> year. Now I'm that. And and that's the same reason why Like, just like if we want to tie it to like a mixing or music level, you know, uh, and for Instagram people who are on, it looks like we're ending in two minutes because IG gets mad if I talk too much. So you can check this whole podcast episode on podcasts in a, a few weeks, wakingupfromwork.com. Thank you for hanging out. Sorry, this is gonna kick you off on us. Thanks, uh, but from a music and a audio thing, it's like I I have grown a lot as a person, and I used to just get so mad, like when I looked back at older mixes that I had done and be like, that was awful. You're an idiot. <laughs> now I'm like trying to look at who was I at that time, what was I influenced by, and like why did that happen? And I just look at it as like I'm proud of where I'm at now because that is not as good as where I'm at. But then I'll get to whatever level I'm at right now. And just like you're saying, like I'm like, I am nothing compared to some of the producers out there. I'm not anything because there's so much more that I'm now aware of. It's like, I can't believe I wasn't doing this thing before. Yeah. I didn't know that I wasn't doing it before. Now I know. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's crazy. And that's how life is, man. You can't. That's why that self-awareness piece and being able to be aware of the whys behind why do we do an action is so important because in life, you're growing and you're able to change that reference point of like what's been happening throughout that time. And it's really important to know why you're making the actions that you're doing and decisions that you're doing and in retrospect, why it did or did not matter back at that time. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: hundred percent. I keep kind of like smiling because you're helping make connections in my brain too, as you're, as you're speaking and for the music connection, right? So I'm a, I'm a huge music fan myself I'm in it. I mentioned that there's, you know, a lot of quotes interspersed throughout the book. Another thing that's in this book too are music lyrics, right? Because I'm just, I think just like a quote, it can help drive home an idea or a point just like a picture can, right? Same sort of idea. And actually the one for imposter syndrome is a, is a radio lyric from creep. From oh, Tom sweet. York. And sweet. It's, it's, it's the, it's the chorus, right? So it's, I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. Right. So <laughs> like, I was like, okay, imposter syndrome. I see that in this, in this song. Right. But yeah, to your point, it's a, every phase in our life, right? It's not about, I sucked at that time, or why couldn't I have done X, Y, Z thing better, faster, whatever. I think a part of building your own self-awareness just as a human being, as we all walk through life is acknowledge and recognize every single one of those experiences as a, as a necessary step, right? We wouldn't be here and where we are today. And we wouldn't be where we want to go in the future, achieving any goals that we've set or what have you without those necessary steps in our past. Right? So Yeah, sure. Maybe they weren't perfect. Maybe it's not the greatest mix in the world or what have you, but it's a a necessary step, right? It's all a part of that
0: line that you can draw through all those points that at the end of our lives tells a story of us, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Cool. So listen, I've got my final six questions that we have to hit through in the next like 12 minutes or so. All right. For these questions, there's one of them I'm going to flip out a little bit specifically towards one of the things that you say because it's relative to it. So the first question is, why do you wake up every day and do what you do versus any other thing that you could possibly do?
1: The reason I wake up every day and do what I do and the way that I define that just to be specific is, yes, it's my work at The Clearing. Yes, it's being a good husband, a good son, a good brother, uncle, family member, member of my community, neighbor, all of those things. That's how I kind of define it, right? The reason that I wake up in the morning is to connect with other human beings and advocate on their behalf. And every day that goes by, what shows up more and more for me is how can I serve people that are less fortunate than I am? And I don't define that in any particular way. It's not just you have less than I do from a socioeconomic standpoint, or any other lens, right? It's just for anyone who hasn't had the gifts and all of the opportunities that I have had, how can I serve them? So when I talked about being an advocate earlier, right? One of the reasons I get out of bed in the morning is to advocate for those people, especially.
0: And so I think that would be my answer to that question. Awesome, man. I love it. So what would be, this is where I'm catering it to you, I usually ask people, what is their biggest mistake along the way? Or because I have a lot of positive mindsets on the podcast, I ask, what would you tell five years ago or 10 years ago you? So I would like to hear that from you, but also your experience talking with leaders of all of these different things. What are they saying to past? What would they say to past selves? What are you hearing as any type of common theme between these great thinkers? What do we say to five years ago, 10 years ago me that would be a helpful constructive thing of like, get after this thing. I've just, I'm hearing it, you know?
1: Wonderful question. So for me, and I, this is a learning and experience that I had at work at the clearing and my reflection right now that I'm capable of today, because hindsight is 2020 is that it wasn't just limited to work, right? It was applied to all facets of my life, my personal life, my relationships with my family, et cetera. And that is that I really struggled with integrity, with personal integrity. And this is actually, we have a set of frameworks we use at the clearing. Some of these are in the book here. We call them group dynamics, right? So they're universal patterns of group behavior, and we mm-hmm. call them the primes. And integrity is one of those primes, right? And integrity is like, is a word like trust or culture. Or any other word, right? I think if you asked a hundred people to give you their definition of that word, you'd probably get a hundred different answers, right? So so the way that we define integrity at the clearing is if you say you're going to do something, you do it. Period. No questions asked. Say do, right? It's very simple. So before I came to the clearing, one of the fundamental facets or aspects of my personality is I'm a people pleaser, right? So I want to make other people happy. I want to say yes, and I want to help people. And so that's a good thing. And the way that it was manifesting in my life, he said, you know, if you could tell yourself the version of yourself five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah, what I realized is that I was really, really out of integrity in many ways. I was way overcommitted. I was not delivering on personal promises and commitments on work promises and commitments largely because I just said yes to too many things. And I wasn't really tuned into, if you say yes to this person in this moment, here will be the, this is the outcome, right? The effect is this, these three things fall off the plate. Now you're out of integrity with these other people. So if I, if I could go back in time and not just learn the idea, right? To the point about ideas and application, but have some of those insights about, Look, when you say you're going to do something, you're entering a social contract with another human being, right? It was that framing that really drove it home to me. And that's been a huge shift for me, right? So now every time I get any request, right? Can you do this thing? Can you commit to XYZ? Can you come to this meeting? Can you yeah. whatever it is? Instead of just my usual knee-jerk yes reaction... I I do what I call building in a pause, right? So whether that's stopping for five seconds or, Hey, I need to get back to you. Let me check X, Y, Z before I answer to you. I build yep. a pause, right? Good. And Good. That gives me time to just pr- get process, right? A little bit and say, Hey dude, you are way, way overcommitted right now. You need to say no to this or you need to renegotiate the other social contract that you have with this other person that you already committed to if you really want to or need to do this other thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it would be integrity. And then I asked that exact question that you asked me of some of the people that I interviewed in this book. And so a lot of their stories and reflections in terms of what, what these amazing people, some of them are just awesome human beings and some of them are these very high level business leaders, um, and what have you from a professional sphere. So their, their responses run the gamut, to be honest with you, Dave, some of them are very personal insights to be honest and frank about, I realized this thing about myself. And again, looking back, I realized it was completely wrong and I would have untold that story to myself from when I was learning it as a kid, for instance. And some of them are more around these, these frameworks and ideas, right? Like, This thing was a, this crux for me and things just rotated around this central point. So, you know, without going into too many specifics, a lot of that is, is, is in the book in in response
0: to those questions. I've got some wonderful interview kind of outcomes and stories that came out of that too. Cool. Yeah. Flip side to it would be, what's the best idea you've come up with so far? The best idea I've come up with so far. Who? That is a big question. <laughs>
1: I might have to build
0: in my hey, own positive. We're, democrat- we're democratizing big ideas, <laughs> man. So, I, I would questions the s- big ideas. Yeah, I would say probably my, the
1: one that intrigues me the most, right? Cool. That I am like most eager to learn more about, and it's in the, in the book, that, and we haven't talked about it yet, is a social science idea and concept called flow, which is probably pretty well-known with a lot of creatives. It, it's just like being in the zone, right? Yeah, your flow so like, state, flow state, in the zone. zone. Yep. yep. So I, again, I did some some research into that. I learned a lot about the father of flow, which is a guy named Sent Mihai, a real tough Hungarian name, but is this incredible, not just an academic, but a lecturer and a teacher at a really cool basic level. Hmm. And I learned a lot about how flow applies to creative pursuits. But then what really fascinated me is what about all the other people in the world that either don't think of themselves as creatives or just aren't in that space for whatever reason, right? Whether by, by hook or crook or whether, what, whatever it is, flow is equally accessible to them, right? So th- that's one idea that I'm like, I, I feel like in the book, I just started to scratch the surface on and that I'm really... Fascinated to learn
0: more about. So that, 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 that would probably be my, my quick answer to your good question. Cool. Awesome, yeah. man. What would be your superpower? Not like as an actual superhero, but like what's your superpower as Hans? Ooh, another good question. These are doozies. I like it. I'm a
1: fighter, man. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> one thing, and again, this is a skill that I picked up pretty recently. And I did another one of those things I didn't know how to name, right? But I think when, when I can commit myself to it, there's, there's a thing called active listening, right? And so the basic idea of that is, so I think my superpower might be listening to other people or to, to an idea. Yeah. And so the the basic premise, the 10 second version of it is, it's the opposite of that phenomena that we all experience a lot, which is when we're talking to someone else or another group of people and we just know we can sense that they're just listening to respond, right? Like right, right. we can see the words filling out of their mouth. We know they're not here. They're not hearing us and they're definitely not listening to us. Right. Active listening is the opposite of that. So it's the deep focus without distractions on an individual, a person or an idea mm. and fully committing to that. Right. So and so, important. so it's, important. It sounds like a really basic thing. And what I found, especially in my coaching work that I do, is that this is a really radical concept, right? Yes, and so yes. when, when people experience it, whether they are actually doing the active listening or they're on the receiving end of that, right? Someone is inside that space of active listening with them. It's therapeutic. It's almost yes. cathartic. You know what I mean? So it just, it feels good. And I think it's so damn rare these days for people to, to listen to one another in that way and give each, give each other that gift that, that that's something that I'm really passionate about and that I think I'm good at. And then I'm going to try to like spread the good gospel on a little yeah. bit. more. Basically. No, it's
0: so important, dude. Yeah. So important. And also, like you said, it seems like a simple, it seems like a simple concept. Like how could that be? Not everyone doing that, yeah. but just like the golden rule, like treat people how you want to be treated. seems like it's a very simple concept and how everyone should do it, but then they don't do, they don't do it. You know what well, I mean? So. so you're like, well, you don't, not doing the thing. And I have something that's a a problem many times that I think people think people think that I'm not actively listening to them. If they don't know me, like Mm. my wife, my friends, like they know me and I have like a huge attention deficit. Like Mm. it's bad where I, I do focus, right? Like I hyper-focus and I'm like, in that, like, probably more than you'd ever even imagine how much I'm trying to comprehend something and understand it. And, like, I start thinking about all sorts of things. And so, when people are talking to me, like, with being a drummer and stuff, I'll tap on stuff or I'll be like fidgeting with things. Uh-huh. And what it is, is like, I need that because I have raw energy that doesn't serve me. I've learned that. That's why I've started running and things because I need to kill energy that's useless yep. for me and it yep. messes with me. And I'll be sitting there going like this. Or I'll be sitting there like tapping on something and like they're talking to me. I'm not, I might not even make eye contact. If it's if it's a very deep thing, if it's something that's like a normal conversation, I'm I'm very good with making eye contact. Sure. But if it's something where it's like an in-depth conversation like this, or like, hey, I need you to figure out this scientifical reason for why this is happening in a mix or like this very complicated songwriting piece of like the key and why is this not working? I'm listening to them, but the more intense the topic gets like the more it doesn't look like i'm listening sometimes yeah. and i've gotten better with my self-awareness to be like hey really quick i know that it seems like i'm like out there i promise you like i'm here with you and yeah I'm trying to figure this out right now well done but i'm dicking around because like i need that to be able to be here with you but uh, it's it's funny that you say that because uh, in the past i think that people did think that of me that i wasn't listening to them And it sucked because I was like, dude, I listened to you so hard. Like I talked about this for another six hours to my wife after we talked that day. I was all in on everything that you said. But sometimes people would be like, dude, are you listening to me right now? I'm like, holy shit. I'm so listening to you. I'm like visualizing this and picturing like what's happening right now. And I'm like, this is like a movie for me. I'm like so visualizing what you're talking about. So important. So important for people to feel that they're listened to, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And I I love your characterization of too, and just tell us a little bit about your experience because yeah, it, empathy is really important always. Yes. And so, you know, how I might define a distraction, it is probably very different from how you might, which is very different from how someone else might. So holding our own kind of, you know, worldview and definitions of all of those things really loosely, I think is important too, because yeah, I, I didn't know that about you. And I experienced you as hyper focused and 100% here with me the whole time. So, and for the record, I'm also fidgeting under the table here. So oh, you are. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. You're not all together, man.
0: Yeah. We're in it together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so last two, cause got to get out of here. What is a resource that you'd recommend to the audience? Could be, obviously we have your book, so we're going to note that of course, but like what's any type of resource that you'd recommend? Podcast book, audio book, movie, YouTube video, anything that that you really feel that the audience should be checking out if they haven't yet?
1: Well, wonderful question. So again, probably sounds pretty basic, but I continue to be blown away by the depth and the breadth of really cool storytelling and knowledge that's available through TED Talks. So I ingest those like like crazy. I think back to this idea of democratization, I think the Khan Academy is an amazing effort and where I'm actively exploring ways that I might be able to integrate some of that into my own coaching or teaching, what have you. So that's another one. I keep a stack of books <laughs> next to me. I actually hauled them out. Um, these So some of the books that were massive influences on me as I was writing my book, I've got... I'll just hold them up really quickly here. So there's one called You Are Here by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is probably the number two Buddhist thinker in the world behind the Dalai Lama. This is all about mindfulness, right? And mm. being present in the moment, huge influence on me. Let's see. I've just got a couple of quick other ones. I can't not mention this. There's this book called The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley, who's a famous English author. This is actually about, I believe it's an acid trip, but his experimentation with, with drugs, right? And this is in the 50s, back before any of this stuff was yeah. controlled substances illegal. Yep. Mind boggling. And then probably the last one that I'll I'll bring up just because I know we're short on time is this book called, get it the right way, thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman. So this one's a little more academic, but one of my big, big epiphanies, and I talk about the basics of neuroscience and brain science in my book, Kahneman takes this incredible deep dive into. So like I said, it's a little more dense, it's a little more academic, but like I learned so much reading that book. So those are just a few of the the things that are showing up for me. Dang.
0: Cool. Yeah. We're going to note all those down. People who are cool. listening to the podcast down in the show notes and waking wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. If for some reason you're not on the app or something, that will have all those links to that. Last question that's the easiest, Hans, where do people keep up with you? Where do they find your book? Where do they stay up? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Ed. So the, the book, probably the best way to get to the
1: book itself um, right now is through Amazon. So if you go to amazon.com, I like to use smile.amazon.com because then Me a too. portion portion of uh you know the money you spend there goes to good causes. So I I rep that big. So hit smile.amazon.com and then if you just search for for all democratizing big ideas, you can get the book two ways there. So you can get the you know a hard copy of the book. It's a paperback. I'm still a, a, a hard copy book guy to this day, and I'm really happy with the way that this soft cover turned out i think it's really beautiful and eye catching so you can get that get to it there the ebook is also on amazon and one quick note that i want to put out there this book is about leveling the playing field right so another thing that i asked myself is as i came up with the market strategy for this and pricing it what could i do to help and so the ebook is 99 cents and it will it. Al- it will always be 99 cents i will never raise the price on it That's a very intentional decision on my behalf. Money shouldn't be a reason why you shouldn't be able to access this book or any knowledge. So that was was my attempt to do that. So check it out on Amazon. And I'm also working on getting some alternative ways to get it as well. It's up on Barnes & Noble if you want to check it out there instead. Working on some local bookstores here in the DC area and also up the East Coast. So trying that out. And then in terms of how you can get to me... I'm pretty active on LinkedIn through professional sphere. So if you just want to search for my first name, last name, Hans Manske, I'm there. My Instagram handle, I'm active there as well. And that's idleminddc at idleminddc. And the other shout out that I'll that I'll put out there too is check out the clearing. So we're a really cool company. We would like to work with really cool people who want to make a difference in the world. And our website is theclearing.com.
0: So that's that's what I would mention. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So once again, links will be in the show notes, people. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you can click down below and you'll see show notes and link right up to all that stuff, wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. Hans is going to have his own little blog post there where you can check that out and see a, a beautiful picture of him. Hans, dude, thank you for being on the, the podcast. Thank you for bringing some DC talent, still keeping that real on the podcast, man. I appreciate all your your deep thought here. I, there's nothing more that I like than having conversations like this. It makes my Thursdays. It fills my life up for the rest of the week when I have conversations like this in the pod, man. Thanks a lot, Dave. I, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. You're doing amazing work. Keep it up. Thank you, man. do yeah. try. We'll keep All trying right. to democratize good ideas and big <laughs> ideas, right? Awesome. Very good. Cool.